Uh, today we are uh, wrapping up our series called Distracted, and I want to talk to you about being distracted by pride. Now, you picked a good week to be here because I guarantee you this is going to be the best sermon you have ever, ever heard. <laughs> or I'm full of pride. <laughs> No, actually, this is a good week to be here because I am the world's number one expert on pride. Now, that one you don't know how to take. Is that another joke, or is he actually full of pride, right? <laughs> now, this, this is also a, a unique week for us because for the uh, second time, we're actually doing worship here in the round. Again, this is a little bit different for some of you, and the reason we chose to do it today was for a very specific reason. When we've done services like this before, people are like, yeah, this is unique, it's different, it's pretty cool, but then we hear two complaints. The first one is, I'm easily distracted by the people that are around me because I get to see everybody. And then that's the other complaint is, I get to see everybody, and I know that that means everybody is getting to see me as well. And so again, what better time to do something like this if we're going to be talking about being distracted by pride, if you're already being self-conscious about yourself today, of being seen in such a way, and, and that maybe you're distracting or you're being distracted, what a great way to end the series here. Now, with all that said, I'll be seriously uh, and, and perfectly honest with you here today, that this is actually the sin that I wrestle with the most as your pastor, is this whole idea of pride. And I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, a little bit later of, of why that is. But I, I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself today as much as I'm preaching to you guys. That I, I need to hear this. I need to continue to, to grow in, in my relationship with Jesus in this particular area. Now, I know some of you are going, great, Gilbert. Pride is your number one sin. At least you're not having an affair. At least you're not stealing money from the church. That, that's good, right? That, that pride is your number one sin. And I guess in some ways, okay, that's a good thing. However, I don't want to minimize pride, whether it's in my life or it's in your life in any way. This is a very serious sin. But yet, pride in our society is now a marketing tool. Right? That, that's why we buy all kinds of stuff is because it's appealing to your sense of pride. And so we, we've got to talk about this. And once again, we're going to look at the life of Solomon and the stories of Solomon. Nate and I, over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about how Solomon, he got distracted, first of all, by pleasure and then by power. Last week, I talked to you that he was distracted by possessions. And yes, today, we'll look at how he was distracted by pride. And this is so funny because as we've learned throughout the series, both Nate and I have shared this with you, that Solomon had it all. He had it all. And he was the, the wisest man who ever lived. But yet, even though he knew all kinds of things, he was still distracted by the power, the pleasure, the possessions, and by this sense of pride. He didn't practice what he preached. And so he gets to the end of his life and he starts reflecting on life. And as we looked, as he says in the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he's like, this was all just sort of meaningless. But you know what else Solomon wrote that many of you love to read in the Old Testament? He wrote the, the book of Proverbs. All these sayings of the wise. Now there's some other authors in there, but for the most part, it's, it's Solomon that's speaking these things to us. If you got your outline there, let's look at a couple things that he said. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, he, he says this, pride leads to destruction. A, a proud attitude brings what? It brings, it brings ruin. Again, this is the wisest man who ever lives. And he got distracted by pride. He's like, man, this led to destruction. It led to ruin. And, and again, this wasn't him just preaching something. This is something he had experienced for himself. And so he continues talking about pride. Look, look at the next verse. Solomon writes, too much pride can put you to what? Can put you to shame. It's wiser to be humble. He continues on. Proverbs 18, 12. Pride leads to destruction. Humility leads to honor. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the next one. Too much pride brings disgrace. Humility leads to honor. Proverbs 29, 23 there. And then finally, he really brings it home. Look at this one. He says, pride disgusts the Lord. This is Proverbs 16, 5. Pride disgusts the Lord. He says, take my word for it. Proud men shall be punished. He's speaking from experience here. That pride brings disgrace. Pride brings destruction. Pride will bring shame. And pride will ultimately bring punishment. He says, man, take, take my word for it. Now, you would have thought he would have learned his lesson because his father, David, had written about this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22. Or actually, I think it's second. Yeah, 1 Samuel 22. David is talking, and he basically says this. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, quote it to you. But essentially, he, he's talking, he says, look, if you exalt yourself, in other words, you put yourself up on a pedestal, you're going to become an enemy of God. But if you'll humble yourself, then God will lift you up in due time. Solomon didn't learn. Now, fast forward a thousand years later, one of David's ancestors is a poor Jewish carpenter by the name of Jesus. And Jesus writes basically the exact same thing. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be? Exalted. Now, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus just over and over and over again, he keeps on this theme of, look, if you try to lift yourself up, you're going to be humble. But if you'll humble yourself, God will lift you up. And his followers, they started to understand this and started to live it out themselves. In fact, Jesus' brother, guy by the name of James, he writes about this, and I've talked about this before, but how much faith would you have to have to believe that, that your brother is truly God? What would you have to see him do if your brother was going, I'm God? You'd have to see him what? Rise again from the dead. <laughs> so imagine the humility it takes for, for James to eventually get to the place to say, my brother is the Lord and Savior of all. And so James writes and he says in James 4:6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then one of Jesus' followers, a guy by the name of Peter, he picks up on this theme and he writes about it as well. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. All of you must serve each other with humility because God opposes the arrogant 
but he favors the humble. Be humbled by God's power so that when the right time comes, he will do what? He's going to honor you. And so over and over and over again throughout Scripture here, we read that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so we've got to learn to submit ourselves and, and serve others and, and be humble. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that? That, that if, if you exalt yourself, that, that you're going to become an enemy of God, but if you'll, if you'll just humble yourself, God will lift you. Do you believe that or not? That this is a little more conversational. So you can actually talk to me, right? I, I prefer that every week you, you talk to Nate and I, right? This is okay. It's okay to talk. But today especially. Mike, do you believe it? Yes, sir. I do. All right. Now the question is, and I'm not going to point Mike out, but the question is, do we actually live it out? I mean, we, we, we say it, but do we actually live it? And my fear is that we don't. And the reason I say that is, we see politicians, we see athletes, we see celebrities, we see all these famous people that would appear that they're actually living in direct contradiction to all these verses that we looked at. And that they're being rewarded for it, that they've got uh, fame and, and money and power and success. And we're like, look, they're beating the system. And so we think if they can do it, and so can I. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. I should have probably put this in your notes if you want to write this down. That, that oftentimes in Scripture, we look at stories or we look at these verses like this and we think that it's a promise for today when in reality it's a principle for a lifetime. Nate says, say it again, so I will. Oftentimes when we read these passages, these scriptures, we think that it's a promise for today, when in reality, it's a principle for a lifetime. Moses said this at one point, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. And Paul at one point, he says, you will reap what you sow. Yeah, today you may get away with exalting yourself. Today you may get away with not being humble. But it's not a promise that's just for today. This is a, a principle that lasts for a lifetime, that if you lift yourself up, you will become an enemy of God. If you humble yourself, he will lift you up in due time. In other words, some people appear to be in the short term winning the battle that they're, they're proud and they're exalting themselves and they're just like, yeah, look at me. But they're going to ultimately lose the war. I, I wish I had some time. I, I had an idea I wanted to do, but um, I didn't get to put together the, uh, the video this week for you. But how many of you have ever seen, like, uh, uh, Sean Jackson was an example of this. Leon Lett was an example of this. Uh, pro football players that uh, had, had caught a pass, or in the case of Leon Letty, had picked up a fumble and was returning it, you know, going to score a touchdown, starts celebrating before he actually gets in, yep. right, and drops the ball. And in the case of Leon Lett, actually Don Beebe uh, from the Buffalo Bills had come up and actually caught him from behind, and he fumbled at the one-yard line. But Deshaun Jackson, he actually just let the ball go at the one-yard line, goes in, he's dancing around and stuff. 
fumble. Yeah. Or, or there's other videos of like bicyclists like in, in like major races that they're just like arms in the air and they're like cruising to the line, right, and stuff. And some other guy's like pedaling as hard as he can and passes them right at the finish line. You've seen some of these videos of, of people, they celebrated too soon. And in the end, they lost. And that's the point I'm trying to make to you. That yeah, you may celebrate a little bit now. Look at me. I'm somebody special. But in the end, you're ultimately going to lose. Now, when we see a video like that, and you, a couple of you said big dummies, you know, that, that type of thing, we sort of get a little bit of joy out of that, don't we, of like watching those types of things happen. And it is, it's, it's funny. But you know what's not funny? Is when it costs life. You see, it's one thing when it's for a trophy, but it's another thing when it costs life. You, you want to know what pride is? Pride is the story of the Titanic. 1,500 people pass away because there wasn't enough lifeboats. Why wasn't there enough lifeboats? Because the pride of the shipbuilders that said, this thing isn't going to sink. Why, why would we need to spend all that money on lifeboats? It's never going to sink. If you remember in the, uh, the movie the Titanic, one of the ship hands actually says, even God himself couldn't sink this boat. That's pride. Or what about 1986 with the, the shuttle Challenger? That it explodes all because of a, a little tiny O-ring. And you know what? The, the NASA engineers, they knew that this could potentially be a problem. They knew that they shouldn't launch the shuttle when it was that cold out because the O-ring may break. but it was pride that said, you know what, we've had 55 successful shuttle missions up to this point. And so we're going to launch anyway. And seven astronauts end up dying. It's pride that destroys economies. It's pride that launches missiles. It, it's pride that destroys families and brings divorce and heartache and pain. It's, it's pride that, that tears uh, parents away from their kids. Pride has a, a huge consequence to it. And we've got to be very, very careful. Now, let me be clear. Not all pride is wrong. In fact, here's what I put on your outline. Look at this. Good pride is the kind that builds up. How many of you have kids? Aren't you proud of your kids? Thank you, Mom. <laughs> Dad, Dad's sitting there with his arms folded. Mom's got her hand up in here. All right. All right. Talk about being humbled. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with having pride in your kids for a, a job well done. Pride is, is a, a, a teacher that, that has helped her kids to, to learn things that they hadn't, hadn't known at the beginning of the school year, and now they, they've passed on to another grade. Pride is someone like, like Nate that 
he, he, <laughs> okay, let me finish it before you laugh. <laughs> no, but, but, I mean, you guys have seen the wonderful pottery he makes. He should be proud of that, that he's able to, to, to use the gifts and the skills, the abilities that God has given him to, to take a lump of clay and make it, that's something to, to take pride in. There's nothing wrong with that. Pride was the Apostle Paul who took pride in all the churches that he had planted. I, I take pride in what we've done these past eight years as a church. That, that's a, a good type of pride. Now, what we have to be careful of, though, is those things that we take pride in can oftentimes cross over into a line of idolatry. That the, the good pride now becomes a, a bad type of pride, an unhealthy pride, a sinful pride. And again, for those of you that are parents, I, I see this all the time, that oftentimes your kids become little idols. Again, you, you want to have a healthy pride in them, but any time that now, now you're taking your time or your talent or the, the treasure that God has given you, and you're, you're putting that, and, 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 and you know, in this case, the, the kid and you're giving them things that were supposed to have been going to God, you've crossed a dangerous line. This is the same thing we talked about last week with possessions. That anytime possessions become more important than people, you've crossed over in a line there. And so again, if if there is time that you're supposed to be giving to God, but you're instead giving it to your kid, if there's money that you're supposed to be giving to God, but instead you're giving it to your kid, if there's talents that God has given you and something you're supposed to be doing for him, but now you're instead taking that time and giving it to your kids, so your, your kid has become an idol. This is the, the business owner. But again, time, talent, treasure that's supposed to be going to God is now... Is now going to that business. You know, if you're, you're a business owner and instead of showing up to church and, and as the book of Hebrews tells us that we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and you're saying, you know what, now I'm going to skip church because I'm going to go off and do my business today. That's a form of pride. That's, that's sin. If you have a hobby and you're really into it, and again, nothing wrong with hobbies, but if all of a sudden you're taking money that is supposed to go to God, it, you know, your, your tithe is now going into your hobby, you've crossed that line into a point of sinfulness. So again, the, the sort of recap there, it's okay to have pride in, in people or things, but realize that there's this sort of gravitational pull that wants to take you from a, a healthy sense of pride into a sinful sense of pride. Now, there's another type of sinful pride. I put it on your outline this way. Sinful pride is the kind that puffs up. How many of you would say that people that are really, really full of pride, that oftentimes you notice that they seem to be very arrogant? Now, here's where this gets tricky. Because arrogance oftentimes, at the root of it, is insecurity. See, it's this false front that's being put on to sort of mask and hide this insecurity that the person has within themselves. 
And, and so that's why you oftentimes see like famous people like athletes and politicians and, and movie stars and, and rock stars or whatever, that they get addicted to drugs and alcohol. Because on the outside, I mean, you know, let's just throw out like Kanye West, right? I mean, dude, dude thinks he is like, well, I mean, he actually calls himself, you know, Yeezy, right? Which is his version of Jesus. But, but you have these people that they're, they're just so flamboyant. They're just so in your face. But oftentimes that's, that's just a mask for an insecurity that they have on the inside that they're trying to, to prove who they are to others. And, and it comes across very confrontational. It comes across as very arrogant. This is the, the comedian that He's out on the stage and he's telling jokes, he's entertaining the audience and stuff, but inside he's like, am I doing a good job or not? And so he goes back to the hotel room then and uses drugs or alcohol to sort of numb the doubts. Again, pride oftentimes is just insecurity. This is the, the, the politician sort of nervous about their platform and, and can I really do this to, to affect change in my community or in the nation or around the world and can I, I really do this and so to mask that insecurity they shout louder or they pound the, they pound the, the pulpit you know a little bit harder this is again the football player Deshaun Jackson you know just as an example they can't just score a touchdown now they have to do a silly dance in the end zone why? Because they want more than the accolades of just that I scored a touchdown. Now it's like, look at me. They need more and more and more. And again, that's just, it's covering up insecurity. Now here's where we get real with this. This is me. This is where pride comes in with me. You know, I was only 29 years old when I got hired by Purpose Driven Ministries uh, to go out and train pastors. I had only been a pastor at that point for about three or four years. And now I'm being asked to travel all over the United States and Canada and, and train pastors. And, and I've shared the story with you before. What an honor it was that 10,000 churches, 30,000 pastors that I got to train. But again... I had only been a pastor myself for a couple years. And now I'm being asked to, to train the nation's pastors. A little insecurity can pop up with that. And so I had to sort of come across as more confident than what I really was. You know, the old saying, you got to fake it till you make it. And so I'm out and I, I'm teaching, I'm doing this stuff. And through God's grace and, and the, the wisdom of God and, and the word of God, I was able to, to do some pretty cool things to help the churches. But then when I left there in 2006, there was this sense of me, I was only 33, and there was this sense of me of, 
is my best days behind me now. And in some ways, as I've explained this, and, and I've had this conversation with Nate about this, of you know, me wrestling with this, it, it was a thing of almost like a, a professional athlete that, you know, pro athletes, they start playing baseball or football or whatever when they're just you know, little kids and they, they put all their time and effort and energy into it and, and all of a sudden they make it into the professionals and they get paid the money and stuff and now they're 30 years old or 35 or maybe 40, you know, depending on the sport and they retire. And they realize that nothing is ever going to be sort of at that level of what I just did. And that's what I wrestled with, is I'm 33. It's my best days of ministry behind me. The biggest impact I'll ever make for Jesus is it behind me. And so what's, what has happened is, is through the years, I mean, that's what, uh, 12, 12 years ago that I left. But I've held on to that. Why? Because I'm trying to hold on to the glory days. And so, you know, to, to sort of give credibility for, for me as I'm out and I'm talking to, to people and helping them, I, I, I'll name drop that, basically. Why? Because I, I have that insecurity of, nobody's going to listen to Gilbert Thurston, who's the, the pastor of Exponential Church of, you know, 50 people. But I, I've got that, that sort of card in my back pocket of, well, here's what I used to be, and here's what I used to do. And so, uh, again, that's just sort of a, a mask for the own insecurities that I have. I'll be honest with you guys, and I think I've shared a little bit of this before, but I'm only, we only moved here eight years ago to start this church because we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew that God was calling us to do it. I had no interest in ever being a lead pastor. I had no interest in, in ever planning a church, you know, getting a new church start. I didn't want it. But yet, that's what God called us to do. And so we had to do it. I'll be honest with you, here we are eight years later, and I'm still trying to figure it out. We're still making it up as we go along sometimes. And I may appear on the platform or, you know, when we're talking that, oh, yeah, Gilbert's confident, he knows it. You know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm at the place, we're eight years in, and, and you would think that, okay, we're, okay we're, we're past the point of, you know, that we would fail type of thing. But I, I'm almost every day debating, are we going to make it another week? Are we going to make it another year? It's just Insecurity. And again, I'm just being raw and open with you guys today because most of the time when you see me, I appear very confident and, and, and stuff like that. But again, that can come out as pride. That can come out as arrogance. That can come out as being smarter or better or, or whatever. And Lisa's told me this a couple times through the years. She's like, so-and-so approached me about something because they were afraid to talk to you about it. And I'm like, why? I'm just <laughs> little old me. <laughs> And it's, again, because sometimes I can come across as, I've got it all together. I know what's going on. 
And so I want to apologize to you guys if, if I've ever treated you like I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you, I know more than... I don't. And that's why from day one, because I realized that, from day one I've said to you guys, look, this is, this is a group effort. We're a team. I'm just the big mouth when it comes to the body. And we need each and every one of you to, to do your part in order to, to make sure that we're everything that God wants us to be here in Harrisburg and beyond. And so, you know, the, the dangerous part of all this is that when I look at myself in the mirror, I see the insecurity. When others look at me, they see arrogance or pride. And can you see how relationally then that makes for difficulty? And really, if you think about it, that's, that's every relationship. If, if how you see yourself and how other people see you is completely different, there's, there's bound to be conflict. There's, there's bound to be turmoil in the midst of it. See, pride is this thing that we've got to be very, very careful about. It's so, so dangerous. Again, it's lethal to relationships. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. It was, it was pride that ruined their relationship with God. Because think about Eve for a second. Up until the point that Satan tempted her, she felt really good about herself. She was created in the image of God. She felt really good about how Adam saw her. She felt really good about how God saw her. But then Satan comes and he says, God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because he knows that you'll become like him. And now all of a sudden, pride kicks in. And pride says, oh, I can... I can be more. I could be somebody. And so she partakes of the fruit. And it throws our world into chaos and sin. Now, not only was pride at the root of the very first sin here on the earth, pride was at the root of the very first sin that ever happened. Who remembers, uh, who remembers what Satan's real name is? What his, his angelic name, what was it? Lucifer, right. And what was Lucifer's job in heaven? He was the worship leader. And what does Lucifer say? Why is it that everybody keeps praising God? Why isn't it that people are bowing down and worshiping me? That's pride. And so he convinces a third of the angels to, to join them in rebellion against God. Again, I started the message today by saying that, you know, a lot of times we just sort of brush pride under the rug. Are you starting to see how serious of a sin this really is? It distracts us. And it's a dangerous place for us to be. So the, the real problem is, again, it's so easy to see it in other people but it's hard to see it in ourselves. So what I want to do is I really, really quickly just want to go through your outline here. I want to give you a couple tests that you can give yourself to see if pride maybe is an issue for you. So here, here's the first one. Look at your outline there. If I point fingers 
when I get caught. When you get caught doing something, what, what is your first reaction? Right. Yeah, blame it on somebody else to, to, to point fingers. Evan just said, you know, it, oh, it wasn't me, you know. And again, th think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God says, why did you do this? And Eve goes, Satan made me do it. She points the finger. And then God comes to Adam. He says, Adam, what's going on? He said, the woman who you gave, <laughs> he's got two fingers going, <laughs> the woman who you gave me <laughs> made me do it. So what do you do when something goes wrong? Are you pointing fingers or are you taking responsibility? If you're pointing fingers, then pride is a problem for you. Number two, if I get angry when I don't get what I quote unquote deserve. What is the only thing you truly deserve? Pop quiz here. What is the only thing any of us deserve? What was it? Somebody said it. Hell, right. That's, that's the only thing any of us deserve because we've rebelled against God. So anything that you get other than hell is a bonus. It's like you won the $1.6 billion lottery last week. You don't deserve anything. But yet, oftentimes we become entitled and think that we deserve things that we don't really deserve. So you just got to ask yourself, is there things that I feel entitled to? Or here's the other way that this one plays out. What happens when somebody else at work gets the raise? What happens at work when somebody else gets the bonus of the promotion? What happens when your exponential family, somebody else gets the new car and you're still driving around in your little clunker? What, what's your attitude? Is it joy and happiness or is it why didn't I get something like that? Why isn't God doing that for me? So pride is an issue for you if you have this attitude, and especially if you get sort of angry about it. Yeah, jealous, envious of what God is doing in other people's lives. Number three then, if I don't seek advice when I don't know my, my way. Now, the old joke you know, that we used to use was with guys, right? That you're on a road trip. And a guy wouldn't do what? He wouldn't ask for directions. And what is that? That is? That's pride. Now, with the invention of GPS, right? Now we can act like we know where we're going. <laughs> However, there is no GPS for a lot of other areas of life. And, and so pride is the, the business owner that would rather fail in his business than to go and get help. Pride is the student that would rather fail a class than to go get a tutor. Pride is the couple that would rather get a divorce than suck up their pride and, and go in and ask for some help and some counseling. 
We've got to seek advice when we're not sure the way to go. We've got to seek out advice. First of all, from God's word. And then from the wisdom of other people that are around us. Number four, if I avoid correction when I make a mistake. When you mess up, what do you do? Do you do everything in your power to avoid any correction? Or do you take the attitude of, okay, I made a mistake, but now I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going I'm to grow from it. I'm going to become better because of it. If you're just constantly trying to escape the consequences, then guess what? Pride is an issue for you. And then number five. If I constantly talk about myself when I'm with someone I respect. When you're with somebody that you like really look up to, the more you're talking, the less you're learning. And the reason for that is you already know everything that's coming out of your mouth. There's nothing you're learning as you're talking to them about your story. And so when you're with somebody you respect, you've got to shut up and listen. And if your mouth does open, it's to ask questions. And just keep asking question after question after question after. Be a learner. Be a seeker. But so often what happens is we're with this person that we respect, and so we want them to think more of us And so what do we do? We talk all about ourselves. We tell our story. And either we we talk about our accomplishments so that we're like, hopefully they'll respect me and think more of me. Or we basically throw a pity party. And we talk about all the the obstacles and all the struggles that I have to go through. And what you're really saying is the reason I'm not at your level is because I have all these challenges. I have all these obstacles. And so you just got to, again, shut up and listen. If you're not, that's a form of pride. Now let's, here's what happens if in those last five questions you discovered that, yeah, one of those is true of me or two or three or four or maybe even all five of them. What, what, what do you do then? Well, a couple suggestions for you here. The first one is this. If, if you know that you have pride, number one, I must surround myself with honest people. You just got to get around people that you know, that you trust, and they're really honest, and say, hey, tell me about me. Am I arrogant? Am I prideful? Do I come across the wrong way? Do I talk too much? Do I care more for myself than I'm caring for other people. And if they're really honest, some of what they say may hurt. Here's what you got to keep in mind. Those words that they're speaking to you are a surgeon's scalpel, not a knife that's meant to destroy you. A scalpel and a a big buck knife, they're they're both knives, but, but one is meant to help and the other is meant to hurt. And so you need to have those people that are in your life that that they can cut you open and help you do a little bit of spiritual surgery, but you're like, oh man, this this hurts, but 
ultimately I'm going to be better because of it. And Solomon himself, he spoke about this and he said, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's why being in a life group is so important. You, you need to have people that can speak these hard truths into your life. Now, you may not be completely honest, uh, not that you're hiding anything, but you may not share all your deepest, darkest, dirtiest things with every single person, you know, the 8, 10, 12 people that are in your group. But what those groups do is they, they give you a sense of a, a stronger, a more tight-knit community, and then out of that 8 or 10 or 12, there's going to be one or two or three people that you're even closer with. This was the story of Jesus. He had 12 disciples, but yet he had three then, Peter, James, and John, that he was even closer with. And that, that's what a, a life group does for you, is it, is it gives you an opportunity to, to know people a little bit more so that you can find who's your Peter, James, and John going to be in your life. And you can just say, here I am. Let me have it. Because again, what we see in the mirror and how other people see us is often so different. And so we need people to speak truth to us. Number two, I must serve others who can't repay me. Must serve others who can't repay me. Today, what, what did we, uh, as we read through the, the words of Solomon, what was the word that was sort of the opposite of pride that we kept reading over and over and over again? What was it? Humility, right? To, to be humble. But what you need to understand is that that. Humility isn't the opposite of pride. Serving is the opposite of pride. Because see, if you walk out of here today and you go, you know what, I need to become more humble. Guess who you just made it all about? You. Again, humility comes about because you've made it not about you. And how do you make it not about you? You? You serve. You put others first. Especially those that can't repay you in any way. And so this is why it's so important that we tell you that every single day you have got to find a way to show somebody in our community that you matter to God and you matter to me. To find a simple way to serve somebody that they can't repay you in any way for that. And this is also why we tell you that it's so important that each and every one of you make it a priority, whether it's this year or whatever, but make it a priority to go on a trip with us like to a place like Haiti. Because you can't help but to go there and be humbled by the whole thing. And as I've, I've, I've mentioned this many times over the past couple years as we've been taking these trips, you are not going to go to Haiti for eight days and change the country. But in eight days, God will change you. Again, it's just such a, a humbling experience going and serving, as Jesus would say, the, the least of these. So if you haven't yet signed up to be a part of our next trip in March, I want to encourage you, get signed up for that. Go, and it'll change you. Number three, then. There's a couple things that I must surrender my own letter A position. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus basically says, look, when you go to a banquet and it comes time to sit down, don't put yourself right up next to the guest of honor. Mike's the guest of honor. Don't take this seat right here. Because, oh boy, won't it be embarrassing when Mike comes into the room and he's like, what are you doing here? Your, your seat's down there. 
Jesus says, instead, you take the chair over here. Your position is the lowest. So that when Mike walks into the room now, he can say, wait, what are you doing way down there? Come up here and sit with me. See, one is you put yourself in the position you thought you should be in. The other is you were invited into a, a position. And what did Jesus say? If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Isn't that what I just did? If I put myself here, Jesus says, you exalt yourself, put yourself in a good chair. He walks in, he's going to humble you. Your chair's down here. But if I'm down here, if I humble myself, Jesus says, now, now, you can be lifted up. You can be raised up. So you got to surrender your own position. Let her be then. Must surrender my own praise. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, says that the words of praise that come from somebody else is much better than the words of praise that you would give yourself. But isn't that what, what we try to do for ourselves so often? That's what I was talking about like with, with my own life. Of Hey, look, look at me. Look at what I've done. Or I'll give you another example. Here, here's one. Uh, you know, I can go, man, wasn't that a good sermon today? Right? <laughs> or here's the other thing we do. We, we fish for compliments. We're like, so... Uh, what did you think of the sermon today? <laughs> right? Thank you, Mike. <laughs> right? So, so we, we fish for compliments. Somebody once said this. Praise that is given is better than praise that is grabbed. Right? Isn't that what we're doing a lot of times? We're, we're trying to reach out and bring the praise to it. We're trying to grab that praise for ourselves. But praise that is given is better than praise that is grabbed. Let her see then. Must surrender my own plans. James chapter uh, 4. James says, look, don't go bragging about tomorrow we're doing this, next week we're doing that, and then next month we're going over here. He says, you don't even know what tomorrow might bring. He said, instead, you should pray and say, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going over there. And I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you with 100% certainty know what's going to happen an hour from now in your life? With 100% certainty, you know exactly what's going to happen in your life. No one, right? We don't have our hands up for that. Why? Because you think you know what's going to happen an hour from now. I mean, hopefully, I'm with my parents, and maybe some of you, you know, we're, we'll be eating, hopefully. But I don't know that I'm not going to have a heart attack in the next hour. I don't know I'm not going to be in a car accident in the next hour. None of us know what an hour is going to bring, much less a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. So we've got to surrender our own plans and our own sense of, I know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why you say, if it's the Lord's will. This is what's going to happen. It's not wrong to have plans, but you've got to surrender those plans to Jesus. And that's why you hear me pray this prayer a lot from the platform, or maybe as I've been teaching, you've heard me, you know, teach this thing. It's a prayer that I pray every single day. 
I wake up and I'm thinking through my day. I'm thinking through the schedule that is anticipated for the day. You know, God bless this meeting. God, you know, help as I have this conversation. God, you know, help as I'm, you know, putting together a message. Whatever. I, I think I know what it's going to be. But what I always pray is I say, God, I give you permission. And not that God needs my permission, but it's just the, the, the turn of phrase there. But God, I give you permission to wreck my plans. And so I'll go wherever it is you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll give whatever it is you want me to give. And that's the, that's the part that you hear me say all the time. Man, if you just make that a prayer of yours, God, I will go wherever it is you want me to go. I will do whatever it is you want me to do. I will say whatever it is you want me to say. I will give whatever it is you want me to give. That's surrendering your plans to him. But oftentimes we walk around like we have it all together. Like we know exactly what's going to happen. But it doesn't work that way. So surrender your plans to him. Now, Some of you are going, you know what, Gilbert, this is, this was actually, this is good advice. But, you know, I, I'm not so sure I, I want people to be, like, really honest with me. You know, that, that seems a little scary to me. And if I'm being honest, I don't know that I really have time to go out and, and serve, you know, others, the least of these. And, and, you know, when it comes to surrendering all these things that you talked about. I don't know if I have a, enough faith for that. Well, good news for you. If you don't have the time or the, the, the faith or, you know, just the, the, the want to, there's a fourth option. Number four on your outline. If I don't do the above, then I will suffer under God's judgment. All right, now that, that may sound harsh. <laughs> but look, it, it's your option. Remember what we read at the beginning. If you're full of pride, you will make yourself an enemy of God. And you'll be humbled. You'll be punished. You'll be full of shame, full of disgrace. As I've shared before, being a Christian doesn't make you a little robot. The, the Holy Spirit in you doesn't possess you and make you do God's thing in God's way. You have a choice. And so we can either get on board with these things that we talked about today of how to reduce pride in our own lives, or we can suffer under the judgment of God. Now, let me be very clear. Pride is not a sin that God cannot forgive. Like any sin, he, he wants to forgive it. He wants to give you a fresh start in, in a brand new way. But if we persist in it, then his judgment's going to come both now and for all of eternity. And I'll wrap up with this. You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Who was on either side of him? How many of them? Two. Two thieves. Both of those thieves deserved what? Punishment. What kind of punishment? Eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. Hell. Now, Jesus has a, a conversation with, with both of them. And by the end of the conversation, one of them's 
now bound for heaven and the other one's still bound for hell. You know what the difference was? Bob just said it. What was it, Bob? Pride. One swallowed his pride, the other refused. And I want you to realize it's the same way with you. Pride is what you do with Jesus. Your pride will determine what you do with Jesus. And guess what? Your pride determines what Jesus does with you. Does that make sense? Your pride will determine what you're going to do with Jesus. Am I going to humble myself and admit that I'm not God myself and I don't know everything and that I need his forgiveness, I need his leadership? Or are you going to continue to, to say, no, it's all about me? Because your choice there, your pride then determines what Jesus does with you. You'll humble yourself at his feet. He will lift you up, not just here, but for all of eternity. But if you continue to persist and be an enemy of God, then eternal punishment is coming as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to, to come together to worship you and to, to look at your word. And Lord, I just pray that all of us, and as I said earlier, myself included, that we would just learn from this example of Solomon who got distracted by pride to the point that he was able to write really wise words about it, but then, uh, yeah, he, his family, his, his life, his ministry, everything got ruined because he wouldn't submit. So help us to learn from his example and to humbly submit ourselves so that you will lift us up in the proper time. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have eternal life with you, not because of us. It's all about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.